So one night I'm on my phone doing my nightly scroll. Check the news headlines. Oh God. Open Twitter. Yep, civilization's still in peril. Time for some dumb Instagram videos. Holy fucking shit! Mom, come outside! There's a fucking moose! Where the fuck are you going? Man, the internet is a wild place. And then... A message. It's Zach. Wait, they have Instagram in prison? It says, Damn, man, I can't say I'm not extremely upset. It was never your place to inject yourself into this. It was never any of your business. It was never your story to tell. When I first wrote to Zach in prison asking for an interview, he basically told me to fuck off. So I reached out to him again, telling him it's basically now or never. And it doesn't sound like he's changed his mind. I reply, hey dude, I understand why you feel like that, but this story is about so much more than you. I'm sorry to make you feel upset. That is really not my intention. He writes back, why are you truly doing this podcast? And don't give me the bullshit answer. My palms start to sweat as I formulate a response. Because there's a light side and a dark side to everything. And that's especially true with Weed World. You meant a lot to the people in your life, and still do. Everyone from Ringwood said only good things. But then, here you are involved in a horrible murder. I want to show that everybody is capable of both good and bad. We are all flawed. It just comes down to how we live our lives. I wait, anxious to see what he says. Okay, I respect that. I'll talk to you about it. How do you want to go about this? Holy shit, Zach Wooster has agreed to talk. We set a time to talk on the phone, but when the time comes, no phone call. I delicately reach out. Hey, still trying to talk? No rush at all. I just want to make sure I'm around when you call. By the way, I'm fully aware that I sound like a teenager waiting for their crush to text back. Zach says, I'll call you soon. I've been a little busy and hesitant to talk. Tomorrow, I'll call you between 12 and 1. I reply instantly. Let's do it. And the next day, we talk. Briefly. Zach started to tell me the story of what happened that summer. But then... I'm not comfortable doing this over the phone anymore. Respectfully, please don't use my interview. And honestly, fuck you and this little podcast of yours. And then, this happened. This is Global Link. You have a prepaid call from... Jesse Wells for Sam Anderson. It's Jesse Wells. The guy Zach said helped organize the whole thing. Hello? Hey Sam, how's it going? I have some stuff prepared, so I'm just going to go through it and go from there. Okay, go for it. I'm just going to start off with Zach Wooster. Zach was the driving force behind the harebrained scheme that cost Settler his life. He alone orchestrated the violence, gave orders, stole, kidnapped, etc. His, his position was violent. I'm innocent of any charges. There's nothing I did here that was wrong. There's absolutely nothing that indicates I had anything to do with it but the broken lies of Zach Wooster. 
I'm Sam Anderson, and this is the Emerald Triangle. Who's organizing this entire plan to go up there? It was between me and uh, Jesse. Zach's in and out of the bar, smoking cigarettes on his phone pretty much the whole time, calling people in for reinforcements, basically. If I told you that Jeff suffered multiple stab wounds, you would attribute those to who? Cricket? Yeah. Was Jeff tripping too? Was he taking acid too? Oh, dude, yeah. Unbelievable amounts. I've never seen someone eat so much acid in my entire life. Chapter 8. Broken Lies and the Missing Crystal. After writing all those letters to every suspect, I finally heard back from one of the guys the police say was up on the hill the night Jeff was killed. But Jesse Wells vigorously denies ever being up there. He says he was never part of any robbery or the murder of Jeff Settler. I would never do that. I took a vow of nonviolence. So I can't, I'd rather die than break my vow of nonviolence. Why do you feel so passionately? I mean, that's interesting to me. Why did you take this vow? And, and, and is there some type of philosophy behind it? Well, or? Why I took the vow is because I grew up with it. My father was abusive. My earliest memories of my mother and my father were of, of abuse and violence mixed in with, I call it the lilac backyard of my childhood. Do you want to go back to the beginning and, and maybe you can just tell me your story of like what happened that night, how you got wrapped up in this in the first place? Sure, sure, sure. I, I was employing 13 trimmers at the time. 13. I had a huge throw operation. I'm not going to go bag a couple pounds on the low. Like, I had 52 pounds of weed. Jesse says that he had been running his own pot farm, and that the night of the murder, he was in a motel room at the cottages, trimming weed from his harvest. You might remember from episode 5 that the cottages was right across the street from Wheels Cafe, where the others were still on a bender while deciding how to deal with Jeff. At midnight, Zach walked up to me and he says, hey, the property owner said that we could go up there. Can I get a ride? After he asked me, I said no. Then he brought Kane with him. And Kane is kind of like a dopey dude. He's like, yeah, I need to go there and get my shit. And I'm like, you guys just need to get your shit, right? He's like, well, there might be some weed and stuff. And I'm like, I don't care about that. But like, just tell me what's going on. And that's what they said. Yep. We have permission to go there and get our personal belongings. That's it. So I'm like, all right, I'll give you a ride. According to Jesse, Michael Kane got in his car, and everybody else piled into a car Zach was driving. When they got to the locked gate at the entrance to Jeff's farm, Jesse says he dropped Kane off and decided to wait for them there. Now, you might remember Amanda and her child. She was in the shack with Jeff the night he was killed. About 15 minutes after Jesse dropped off the guys to head up the hill, Amanda drives down the hill in her car. Jesse says he tried to talk to her, but she wouldn't respond. About six minutes later, Zach comes down the hill, all right? He comes down, and I say, what's going on? And he's like, no, everything's cool. We're just done. I'm like, well, where's Kane? And he's like, oh, it's all good. I go, no, dude, what's going on with this girl and her kid? Like, why is she so fucked up? And he looks at her through the window and looks at me. He's like, she's been physically mentally, 
been emotionally abused with drugs. And I go, all right, dude, tell Kane, <laughs> tell Kane I'm out of here. Seems like you got this under control. I hopped in my car and beat feet back to the cottages. I parked in my usual parking spot. I got out. I went inside. But didn't you know that something was going down when you were standing at the bottom of Settler's Gate? Didn't you know something was up? This is late, yeah. It's an everyday occurrence for people to get kicked off a property and be disgruntled, and it's happened a hundred times. Sure, sure, sure. So no, I wasn't going to jump to conclusions. What I thought was going down was not that fucking people were brutally accosting a man. I thought maybe some words were flying or, hey, get the fuck off my property type shit. Nothing like, like a homicide. Not long after Jesse returned to the cottages. I walk out into the middle of the parking lot and I'm smoking a cigarette. And all of a sudden, I see a car roll in. It's Zach. And now he's driving Amanda's car. She's in the passenger seat with her kid. Zach leaves her alone, comes walks across the parking lot, walks up to me, and he says, Hey, what's up? I'm like, nothing. You guys good? He's like, yeah, everything's cool. How did he seem? What was, he, what was his mannerisms? Perfectly normal. Perfectly sociopathic, Zach normal. He said, hey, can her and I and the kid stay over tonight? I go, I'm- This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I'm smoking my cig, shaking my head, going, absolutely not. And then he goes, well, can just her and the kid? And I go, absolutely not. And he's like, all right, cool. And he turns around. And he walks back to the car. So she, at any time, she could have disappeared and ran or stole her car back or whatever. What Jesse's saying is he thinks Amanda may have been involved in the events of the night. She provided a vehicle to, to aid in a bet, a felony robbery that ended in a homicide. Remember what Zach told the cops? That it was Amanda who opened the door to the shack and let the others in? Could they have been in on it together? If it's not a kidnapping, then that would make her an accomplice. This is Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Good evening, listener. I'm Steve Taylor, your host to a horror anthology podcast where we ask you to depart from your safe perception of reality to descend with us into the frightening depths and dark corners of twisted imaginations. With carefully curated original tales of terror each week, our deepest rooted fears are brought to the forefront by a diverse cast of voice talent and masterfully eerie sound design that bring these stories to life. We'll give you tales of unnerving encounters with the occult, harrowing hauntings, and sinister seances that show just how darkness knows no bounds. Make sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. A new year is full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, 
your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take care of orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. The next day, the cottage's motel is swarming with cops. They knock on the door to Jesse's room. I let the cops right in my house. There was one cop I said could come in. All of a sudden, there's nine officers, and they're grilling me about shit. According to Jesse, the cops were suspicious of him from the start. He says they checked his room for Jeff's stolen weed, but found none. Not only that, he says there was evidence to prove that he never had it. The surveillance system at the cottages shows my timeline exactly. He says there was security footage from the cottage's motel showing him coming home early, alone, and without any weed. But then... The police lose it. This tape, according to Jesse, was lost by police and couldn't be entered into evidence. That next day, I went back to the cabin in broad daylight in front of plainclothes police officers. I packed up my cabin and I headed to South Lake Tahoe. That's where the cops eventually found him. And in the end, Jesse pled guilty to robbery. He got a three-year sentence. Why did you take the deal? Why didn't you take this to trial? I honestly was forced to take a deal. They say, we're going to give you three years. My buddy said it in jail. Do you want to go to prison for three years or something? You didn't do it for 30 years. So I said, you know what? I'll take it. But before Jesse was sent to state prison, while he was still in the Mendocino County Jail, he says he ran into Zach. You know what? Here's something you can put in there. Zach apologized to me in front of my celly one day, too. He said, man, I'm sorry about all this, dude. I, I never, he's like, I just was scared and... I didn't know. I'm like, well, I don't care that you told them that I was there to drop Kane off, but you lied, and you told them I was up there kicking and punching fucking Settler. Why would you do that? Zach didn't answer that question, but not long after this phone call with Jesse, I got a hold of a letter that was sent to Jesse's lawyer by an inmate who shared a cell with Zach. It says, Zach talked about getting away with lying about Wells kicking and punching Settler. He openly spoke about setting up Wells to take the blame. Zach said he was pissed off because Wells took off when he was up top, meaning the top of the hill, and that Wells was gone by the time they got back. The letter goes on and on about Zach getting money from the heist, how he's got hard crimes under his belt, and it quotes him saying, Wells is just a pussy anyway. He's not cut out for my kind of work. So this letter, it looks really bad for Zach. But you know what looks worse? Here's what Jesse told me next. He's the only one that has ever found in possession of stolen property belonging to Settler. And that's through evidence and his own admission. It was Settler's book bag. Here's Zach in his police interview. You went inside the shed, right, to get a tote, you said? No. Jeff was, like, right here, and his bag was, like, right here. And I saw his bag, and I grabbed it. So, Zach actually admits to stealing Jeff's bag. 
and I feel like I've heard something about a bag before. Didn't Aaron mention a bag when he was telling me how Jeff dealt with the failure of his crop? He goes to his backpack, he pulls the bottle of concentrate out, and he squirts it down his fucking throat. So Jeff kept all his acid in his backpack. For some reason, this guy always had a bunch of raw LR. All the time. What do you mean by raw? So before people break it down into the liquid, it's a crystal. One crystal gram of LSD can produce 10,000 hits of acid. So when Zach took Jeff's backpack, he might have been stealing Jeff's stash of LSD. Okay. So the, the bag was the only thing that you personally took from inside? The only thing, yeah. Zach reminded me of a Ted Bundy type, like just someone who's so cocky and shrewd. The more I spoke with Jesse, the more I understood just how deep his resentment was towards Zach. At one point, he started talking to me as if he were addressing Zach directly. You turned state's evidence and they gave you a 10-year deal. The fact that you... You have 60 seconds remaining. Blatantly to save your own ass started throwing people under the bus to, to deflect blame for your actual guilt in a case and then lying to cops. He's just lying and lying. But guess what's worse than Wooster doing it? The cops fucking using those lies to convict me for something I didn't do. He's putting the blame on other people because that's the only defense he has is to blame others. He knew about everything. He was present for everything. He was in the car for everything. He was the one, dude. He's the one. No one. All right. Holy fucking shit. Jesse Wells just blew this thing wide open. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters, and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. Is Meghan Markle like Princess Diana, or is she just a social climber? I was silent. Were you silent, or were you silenced? Is she a breath of fresh air or a master manipulator? That's what we're going to find out on my podcast, Infamous. Apparently ambition is a terrible, terrible thing. We'll look at what happened when two dysfunctional families came together. It's the family that I suppose she's never had. And how Meghan and Harry going Hollywood all went down. Only on the podcast, Infamous. I barely had time to get over my call with Jesse Wells when this happened. This is Global Link. I have a call from... Gary. Hey, Gary. Hey. So go ahead, tell me your, your name and a little bit about yourself. How do you introduce yourself? Well, I'm Gary Lewis Blank III. Also known as Cricket. Here's what Zach told the cops about Cricket. If I told you that Jeff suffered multiple stab wounds. You would attribute those to who? Cricket. Cricket? Yeah. Cricket got one of the longest sentences of anyone. 
14 years for voluntary manslaughter. Well, I started off in the Illinois country as a farmer and a country boy. I come from a, a very loving family. I've been in the military. Cricket says that after he left the military, he didn't fit in in Illinois anymore. And he ended up in the place where people go when they don't fit in. Humboldt County is where I ended up uh, finding family and people that loved me. Humboldt is a county just north of Mendocino. It's also part of the Emerald Triangle. And I've been uh, living up in Humboldt County for the past 16, 17 years. Kirk had asked me who else I talked to, and I told him about Jesse Wells. The big thing I heard from Jesse Wells was that Zach Wooster basically framed him and threw him under the bus. When I met up with him later on in jail, man, the guy, I never recognized him. I never remember seeing Jesse at all up there. If this is true, it means that Zach's claim of Jesse punching and kicking Settler was a total lie. It's really hard because like, I'm bringing up memories from when I was drunk, so... It's like a, a movie with just a few clips where they just clip to the scene and then they clip to another scene. That's how I remember it, right? The way Cricket says it all went down, I was not prepared for. They wanted me to go knock on the door and tell Jeff Settler, you owe these guys money. Jeff Settler goes, what's going on? I go, Jeff, you owe, right? And next thing I know, I see an ax come out from behind me, upside down, hits Jeff on the head, bases him, knocks him out. I hear him say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, right? So who was holding the ax? That would have been Zach Wooster. You're saying that Zach swings the hatchet from behind you? Yeah, he came up behind me. If this is true, it would be another one of Zach's lies. He told the cops that Kane swung the hatchet. That's when Kane came in and pulls out a big-ass knife, right? At the moment I see this axe and this knife, I pull mine out, too. And they start stabbing and beating on him. I stab, I stab too. I'm drunk. I stumbled, and I stabbed the back of my hand, which left this big old hole underneath my first finger, right? And I'm just standing there looking at my hand as it's just pouring blood out. When you started stabbing, who were you aiming for? Whoever was flinging a knife towards me. I was just kind of blind. Did you stab Jeff? No. But I confessed to it. Here's the confession Cricket's talking about. I mean, how many... Stabbed that came to you, how many did you do? One or two or four or five or what, what do you think is a good number? Two, two, three, two, and then the rest were him. I don't know how many did. Why did you confess to it? Scared. I've had a lot of bad experiences with cops, you know? And a lot of times I've been innocent. And I've just pled guilty, guilty, guilty to a lot of things I haven't done. So... You're basically telling me that Michael Caine did most of the stabbing of Jeff. Yeah. I guess I stabbed towards where my hand was directed because I was stabbing blindly. I'm pretty sure I'm still not the guy that killed him, even though I am in here for voluntary manslaughter. 
what happened there was uh, a couple other pissed off cats with big knives and on a lot of drugs uh, killed them. I'm one of the nice guys. <laughs> And what is Zach Worcester doing? They, were, they just were continuing on uh, on Jeff there, you know, and mainly it's just Kane just going at it. Is Worcester inside the room? I know somebody was going after this really large thing of LSD. It was like an LSD crystal worth probably ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000. Wow. How big is this crystal? Oh, about the size of the tip of your thumb. That's probably about what the size would be. So small that it would be pretty easy to squirrel away. In a backpack, for instance. Hey, I gotta get off the phone. This guy's bugging me. I know. I'll talk to you later. All right. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Next time on the Emerald Triangle. To hear about the final moments of Jeff and what he did to him in that that seems pretty psychotic to me what'd you see jesse i don't know i don't know what i saw i don't do you remember what color the hair was that was found in jeff's hand um What if you could become stronger, more resilient, cure disease, and all you have to do is get naked in the cold and breathe? You get into ice water, and instead of, like, freaking out, you relax. It's called the Wim Hof Method, and Gwyneth Paltrow and Justin Bieber love it. I do the ice plunge because it's good for your body. But there's also a dark side. How many people have died doing the Wim Hof Method? We can override even death! Listen on the podcast Infamous. That's Infamous, playing now. Crooked City, The Emerald Triangle is a production of Truth Media in partnership with Novel and Sony Music Entertainment. The series is written and reported by me, Sam Anderson. Our senior producer is Joe Wheeler. Our producers are Alexa Burke, Lee Meyer, and Zach St. Louis. Story editing by Mark Smerling and Austin Mitchell. Our assistant producer is Sasha Baker, with additional research by Ivan Devoin. Scott Curtis and Cherie Houston are our production managers. Fact-checking by Dania Suleiman. Mixing and sound design by Joel Cox, Rich Evans, Daniel Kempson, Nicholas Alexander, and John Scott. Our title track and additional tracks are composed and produced by Robert Quijano and Christopher Rose, with additional production by Nicholas Alexander. It was engineered by Peter Oviat and recorded at Moonflower Sound Studio in Taos, New Mexico. Additional music from Marmoset and Epidemic Sound. Development by Willard Foxton. With special thanks to Indira Burney, Max O'Brien, Sean Glynn, and Matt O'Mara. Also, special thanks to the amazing studio musicians and Moonflower Sounds. Continue the conversation with us by tweeting at Crooked City Pod. If you've enjoyed the Emerald Triangle, don't forget to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other people find the show. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.